Hello, and welcome to the Sunday Sermon Cast from Bethel Evangelical Free Church on Washington Island, Wisconsin. I'm Rick Smith, and I've been here at Bethel since 2016, enjoying this great church on this spectacular place off the northern tip of Door County, Wisconsin. This message comes from our Sunday morning service here on the island, and it's geared towards discovering what the Bible has to say to us in our everyday lives. So, God's blessing on you, and thanks for joining with us wherever you are today. Well, I was men- Lila was mentioning previously that sometimes people, well, we don't, we're not always getting along. And whether that's within our community or within even the church community, sometimes things don't feel right. There's a story of a wife. She invited some guests to dinner, and at the table she asked her six-year-old daughter to, to say the blessing. And the girl replied, I don't know what to say. The mom said to her, just say what you hear mommy say. And so the daughter bowed her head and said, Lord, why on earth did I invite all these people to dinner? <laughs> Sometimes <laughs> what's going on in our heart and comes out of our mouth is, uh, well, more truthful than we want to say. Another story. There's a husband and wife. And they... They arose one Sunday morning and the wife went for church and it was about time for service when she noticed her husband had not, not yet gotten dressed. Perplexed, she asked him, why aren't you getting dressed for church? It's because I don't want to go. He's like, I see. Do, do you have any particular reason? He says, yes, I have three good reasons. First, the congregation is cold. Second, no one likes me there. And third, I just don't want to go. And as the wife considered this wisely, she said, I have three reasons why you should go. First, the congregation is warm. There are a few people who like you there. And third, you're the pastor, so get dressed. (laughs) Sometimes life is like that. Now, to me, I think church is, is, is one of the most dynamic and lively parts of, of, of what community and, and being part of the community of faith is, is all about. Being a follower of Jesus, the, there's nothing else. This is the bride of Christ. This is what it's all centered around. But, but there are times in the course of our lives where, where we've seen stress and discouragement and sometimes even pain and and the thing is, it's just kind of par for the course that living this life of faith sometimes means we're going to walk through difficult times. Uh, and we see this very early on in the New Testament. You know, we, we st- when, we have a, when we look at our New Testaments, where does it start? It starts off with four books about Jesus' life and, and how he talks about the kingdom of God. And, and that's followed up by another book, called Acts of the Apostles, talking about how the church emerges out of this life and kingdom message of Jesus, his his death and resurrection, and and the church begins to grow and develop, and we see that through the, the chapters of Acts. And then we get to the end of Acts, and things are are still happening. It's not finished, certainly. But then we get all these other writings. We call them epistles or letters. And the thing is, these epistles are written by guys like Paul and, and Peter. 
And they have a purpose to speak to churches that are having issues. One of the pastors I, I was served under years ago, he said, you know, people want to get back to, we just need to get back to the New Testament church. We just need to be, have that New Testament church attitude. And, and his question is, okay, that sounds great. Which one? It's like, excuse me? Which of the New Testament churches do you want to be like? Because we have descriptions of all of them. But guess what? Every description we have comes out of some kind of turmoil. All the letters that are written are written because there's problems. And we're going to start looking at Paul's letter to the Corinthians. His first, the first Corinthians is what it's called. And, and what we're going to see as we look at this, this is, uh, it's, it's about the, the, the great and lively church, but the great and lively church is less than perfect. And how do we, how do we get on with this? Well, to, to figure out what's going on in 1 Corinthians, I'm going to give you a, just a fair bit of background on, on what Corinth was like in those days. Uh, when we get to 1 Corinthians, um, we're getting probably Paul's third interactions with the Corinthians. We have in the, in the Acts of the Apostle, we have Paul going to Corinth and beginning a ministry there of, of, of talking about who Jesus was, sharing the gospel, and, and many people coming to faith in him. And it says in verse 18 of, of Acts 18 that, that he spent a considerable amount of time there and then moved on. Um, following him, another uh, guy named Apollos came and, and, and continued to speak about God. And, and as he learned more about who Jesus was, began to speak. And, and that's the start. But Corinth itself was, was an ancient city that was destroyed by the Romans in about 144 BC. So 144 years before Christ it's destroyed by the Romans because of some conflict. But Julius Caesar, looking at it as a strategic place, says this is a good place to restart. And if you've got that map there, uh, if you'll see right in the center there, we've got Corinth is, is there, and, and it's on what's called this Achaia uh, Peninsula. And, and Corinth is set in this, this isthmus where there's a sh- about a three-mile stretch of land from, from one side of the sea to this long... Um, bay area that would go off towards the west. And um, that southern part around the Achaia Peninsula was very rocky and difficult. And so ships coming through uh, had great advantages for going through Corinth. And if it was a small ship or small boat, they could just travel the three miles with it from one side to the other. Otherwise, the large ships could offload on the wagons and it would save them all kinds of time. And, and so Julius Caesar in 44 BC reestablishes Corinth. It's, it was just a very strategic location on a number of levels, very defensible, and, and, and trade was going to pass through there just naturally. And, and so it becomes this very cosmopolitan city and becomes a very prosperous city quite quickly. Money starts flowing through there, and people start coming to this because there's opportunity. And with money and with people comes all kinds of other things. Uh, 26 different 
temples have been found there, and not even including a, a Jewish synagogue that was there. All kinds of religious ideas were coming on, around, as well as uh, philosophers and artists, people looking for some kind of support for what they were doing. Some of them would be what they would call charlatans, just trying to find some way to separate you from your money. And that was the nature of the city. Along with it came a fair bit of immorality. And that immorality had been there even previously. Aristophanes in about the 300s or 400s BC, he coined a word. Um, in English, it would sound Corinthianized. Um, and, and it meant sexual immorality. To Corinthiazo would be to fornicate or to be engaged in, in sexually immoral behavior. That's the word he had using the culture of Corinth. An indicator that there was pretty loose morals there. And as Paul begins the ministry there, um, one of the things that the church faced in, within the culture was a fair bit of naughty, wicked behavior. And these things were not uh, temptations that the church necessarily, or uh, the people in the church, were, were immune from. And so a second interaction that Paul has is a letter that he writes, not 1 Corinthians. We don't have the first letter, but Paul refers to it in chapter 5 of 1 Corinthians. And, and there's some indicator it had something to do with idolatry and sexual immorality. And the sense we have of it is that he came pretty hard on the practices that they were doing. And the people, they didn't like it. And so this letter comes about, this letter that we have, 1 Corinthians as a third interaction with them, now in response to their response to his letter, there's tension. There's been difficulties in what has happened there. And, and, and Paul's desire is to help guide them back towards faithfully walking with God, highlighting the good things and practices that have come from them, but guiding them towards how to live faithfully with God again. And so as he begins the letter, and uh, we will be looking at 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 1 to 17 here, we get this perspective on what Paul is trying to do as he begins this. That Paul, his desire is, amongst all things, to direct them, and again, things that we've talked about already, not about him, not about others, but about Jesus. As we read these 17 verses, I want you to note how many times we see the word Christ or Jesus Christ that are listed in this passage. So 1 Corinthians chapter 1, starting in verse 1. Paul, called to be an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God and our brother Sosthenes, to the church of God in Corinth, to those sanctified in Christ Jesus and called to be holy, together with all those everywhere who call on the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, their Lord and ours. Grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I always thank God for you because of his grace given you in Christ Jesus. For in him you have been enriched in every way, in all your speaking and in all your knowledge, because our testimony about Christ 
was confirmed in you. Therefore, you do not lack any spiritual gift as you eagerly wait for our Lord Jesus Christ to be revealed. He will keep you strong to the end so that you will be blameless on the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. God, who has called you into fellowship with his Son, Jesus Christ our Lord, is faithful. I appeal to you, brothers, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that all of you agreed with one another so that there may be no divisions among you and that you may be perfectly united in mind and thought. My brothers, some from Chloe's household, have informed me that there are quarrels among you. What I mean is this. One of you says, I follow Paul. Another, I follow Apollos. Another, I follow Cephas. Still another, I follow Christ. Is Christ divided? Was Paul crucified for you? Were you baptized into the name of Paul? I'm thankful that I did not baptize any of you except Crispus and Gaius, so no one can say that you were baptized into my name. Yes, I also baptized the household of Stephanus. Beyond that, I don't remember if I baptized anyone else. For Christ did not send me to baptize, but to preach the gospel, not with words of human wisdom, lest the cross of Christ be emptied of its power. Now, as I counted up the occurrences of Christ or Jesus Christ or Jesus Christ our Lord there, I came up with 14. In those 17 verses, 14 times he comes up with this phrase, this reference to Jesus, which kind of gives you an indication of what he thinks this is about and what he thinks is most important in all of this. Again, the context is there's some things going on that are not so okay. And part of that is there's some question of Paul's authority. And he doesn't want to necessarily make this about him, but wants to direct it towards the thing that is important, and that is Jesus. So he begins his letter, and, 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 and so I've centered all these around this same phrasing of Christ. And, and so he begins this by, by giving greetings in Christ. And so he starts with Paul, called to be an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God. And Paul here, well, he has a little bit of different identification of himself than he does in some other letters. A lot of times, we saw this in Titus and we see this in many of the other letters, he will identify himself as a slave or a servant of Christ. This time, he identifies himself as an apostle of Christ. One who has been called by Christ would be a literal translation. And then he follows that by saying that he has been called by the will of God. And, and there's something that he's trying to communicate there. And, and that, as we go through this discussion, as I bring this letter to you, remember what God has done in my life that I'm not coming to you as a guy who doesn't know anything, but I'm the one who brought the message to you, and I'm the one God has called. And there'd be reference to his testimony, which he would have certainly shared with them in his ministry there. In Acts chapter 9, we get this picture of, of Paul coming to faith. Paul being called Saul at the time, was pursuing the, 
the church and trying to destroy it. And on the road to Damascus, as he had, had overseen the death of Stephen, he was about to go find more and, and bring them for discipline before the councils. And, and God interjected and said, Paul, Saul, what are you doing? Why are you persecuting me? And he's like, who, who are you, Lord, that I'm persecuting? I'm Jesus, the one you're persecuting. And begins to call him to do his work. God wants to do a work through Paul. And, and as Paul begins this message, this letter to the Corinthians, he wants to remind them, hey, I got a message here for you. I've been called to do this. And then he identifies who it's going to be written to, those who are in Corinth, the church of God in Corinth, to those sanctified in Christ Jesus and called to be holy. Paul has a calling to to be this apostle, to bring the message of Jesus. The people in Corinth have a calling as well. They're called to be to be made holy, to be separate, to live lives that are different within their culture. And as he brings this greeting to them, he's setting up this communication. Again, centering it around who? Around Jesus. Called to be an apostle of Christ Jesus. They're sanctified in Christ Jesus. And, and this is to all who will call on the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. This is all about Jesus. And as he moves on to the next section of this Thanksgiving, he's giving thanks to to God because of God's grace to them through Jesus. God has brought them a message as well that, that, that he loves them and cares for them and is drawing them to himself. And, and he's so thankful for the work that God has done and has been working in them. And, and that as he thinks about all that's going on, he's recognizing, you know what? You have received your completeness from God. You, are, you have everything that you need. Every spiritual thing that you need, you have received you're not lacking in anything. It's a, a great message for us to think about as we think about church, but also as individuals, that, that God gives us his gifts. God calls us, and, and, and spiritually we have all that we need. When we come to faith in Jesus, there, there's nothing lacking. We don't have to earn our way still to get back to him. We are fully part of him in that moment. But then he begins to talk as well about their destiny. In theology, we, we have this phrase, it's called the, the already and not yet. Because we already have seen Jesus come to this world and, and the work that he's done and, and, and having received him as our Savior, we are already right with God. But we also understand that Jesus will come again and that when he comes again is revealed again, Things will be put to right. The things in this world that are so tumultuous and, and filled with turmoil, the things that we've been worried about and concerned about in this world that we recognize none of this is going to get corrected until Jesus comes. Saying, we're waiting for that still. Yes, you are complete in Christ, but we're still working our way in life. God is still doing a work in us that, that we're still being transformed because all of us recognize on some level that we're not fully 
who we're supposed to be. We sin. I sin. You sin. You do things that later on you wish, why, why would I do that? What's wrong with me? We struggle. And so we have this disconnect. I'm supposed to be completed, and yet I'm, I know I'm not perfect. And Paul's reminding him that we have this status before God is being right, but we're learning to live this out, to make choices and decisions in our lives that, that will honor and glorify and, and live for him. And he has this promise there at the end of this section in verse 8. Because they're going to go through difficult times. But he, he will keep you, referring to Jesus. He will keep you strong to the end so that you will be blameless on the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. God who has called you into fellowship with his son Jesus Christ our Lord is faithful. You have a destiny to live this out. And these are the things that he's going to be introducing as he talks about it. We have a little glimpse of this in verses 10 to 17. Things that will come in, into clear focus as the, the verses go along. But he, he begins making his appeal centered around what? It's centered around Jesus. That in all the things that are going on, the, the, the difficulties that are happening, the, the strife that's happening there, where are we looking? Again, we take time for communion to look and remember this is about Jesus. Some of their difficulty was people were saying, well, I follow Paul, well, I follow Paulus, or I follow Cephas or Peter, and I mean, there, there was discussion, who is the one who's teaching I just love and I'm going to go with it. There's these little nuances. Uh, maybe Peter has a more Hebrew kind of focus because of his Jewish background or whatever it is. But and we can do that within the church today, can't we? Sometimes we get focused on a person or a particular nuance in the theology and it causes us to look at others who are, are fully part of the body of Christ and saying, I don't know about I don't know about you. And there's division. And Paul says, let that go. Turn your focus on to Jesus. Each of you. Make that your point of connection so that you might be fully united in, in, in mind and in thoughts. And as he finishes this, after references to, to, to those whom seldom, or those few that he, he baptized, he said, I didn't come here to baptize. I was not sent as an apostle to baptize, to get people wet, to wash them. I came to bring the gospel of Jesus, this message of God's love for mankind, and it's not because I'm so great. Maybe you think, and this is some of the other discussions that come out, that they don't think he's as eloquent maybe as Apollos was. It's like, it's not with my eloquence. It's not with my words. It is the power of the cross. 
It is the power of what Jesus has done. That is our ultimate authority always. It's easy to get fixed and focused on on a personality, a person, uh, someone that we can see and hold. And, and it's, you know, it's like, I like this guy. I, I'll do whatever he says. But the question is, how does that direct us towards Jesus? How does anyone in particular, whether it's me or, or other speakers you're listening to, other people you're reading, how do they direct you towards Jesus? Because in the end, it is Jesus. It is simply Jesus that is our focus. So many things can cause us to, to lose sight of that. Again and again in scriptures, we're exhorted to fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, it says in Hebrews. Fix your eyes on Jesus. And so as we go through this series, there will be all kinds of things that are discussed. Things that we deal with in this world. There will be sexual immorality. There will be problems between believers and lawsuits that are coming up. There will be marriage and and the the importance of marriage and life. There will be ministry within the church and how that happens. What place do men and women fit in all this? But the center of it all, to continue to look at Jesus, for us to walk together, Humbly saying, Lord, what are you doing? Let's stand for closing prayer. Father, I'd ask that you'd continue to guide us as your followers, that we might come to know you in in greater depth. And Spirit, as as we, as we walk through this letter over these next weeks and months, may we hear from you. Are there things that you're calling us to? Are there things you're challenging us with, with, with our gifts, our talents? Are there things or corrections that we need to be attentive to? Are we having struggles with one another or other believers outside of our mix here? Lord, help us to keep our eyes fixed on you, first and foremost. To love you and, and to emulate the love that you've demonstrated for us. This reminder at the Lord's table that your disciples are known by how they love one another. Give us that heart, that passion to intentionally walk through and do this. We need your help. Jesus, work in our hearts and lives. And it's in your spirit and life and love that we pray. Amen. God bless you this day. Well, thanks again for listening. And to learn more about how you can connect with Bethel Community Church, check out our website at islandbethelchurch.com or join us for a service Saturday night at 6 or Sunday morning at 1045. Hope to see you soon. God bless you.